invite you to turn with me tonight. It will be up on the screen. Uh, I will be reading from the New King James Version. We'll be looking at the book of Psalm, amen, for a little bit, and then I'll be reading a few other passages. But if you would like to turn with me to the book of Psalms, we're looking at chapter 51, beginning at verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud with your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, will you not despise. Laying a scriptural foundation tonight, Romans 4, 7 says this, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. I'm thankful my sins have been covered. Hallelujah. Philippians 3, 12 says this, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, not quite there yet, but I press on. I get, I'm heading that way anyway. Even though I'm not there yet, it's still worth pursuing. It's still worth striving after that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has laid hold on me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting. Somebody say forget. <clears throat> forget those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press Toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ of God in Christ Jesus. First John 1 John 1.8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, though, you know what he is? He is faithful and just. He is faithful and he is just. Hallelujah. He is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In the same book, verse three, chapter 3, verse 12, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. He knows all things. Amen. For a little while this evening, you may be seated. I'd like to speak, amen, on this uh, thought, uh, freedom from failure. Freedom from failure. All over the world tonight, there are people, there are people that are confined 
into facilities that we uh, so often refer to prisons. Took a little inspiration from Brother Enos last week. People that have committed crimes, people that have broken the law, people that have done wrong against somebody else. They have taken advantage of someone. They have uh, taken advantage of a business, perhaps. They have stolen something, whatever the case may be. And they have been found to <clears throat> be guilty in a court of law, and they have been incarcerated. And the really, really bad people, amen, that may have killed somebody or, or done even something even uh, perhaps worse than that, although I don't quite know what that could be right off the top of my head, those that have committed the very worst crimes, amen, that we have seen in the United States or around the world are typically in placed in prisons that are called uh, high security prisons or perhaps even uh, supermax, maximum security. Uh, you say the word supermax and you kind of get a little chill that runs down your spine and it's uh, certainly not a place that you ever want to go uh, save for uh, a visit or to go and minister of some way. These places that people go that are confined because of what they have done against other individuals. There's a prison that most of us probably are familiar with. They've made movies about it. It's kind of a storied place. I'll say the name, and I know that you all will uh, identify with that, a place called Alcatraz. Uh, it was designed, and it was supposed to be, quote-unquote, escape-proof. Uh, Twenty-six <clears throat> tried to escape, and only five managed to get past the guards the high walls, and ventured out into the uh, cold waters of the San Francisco Bay. Now, these structures, these structures are meant to confine those that have committed crimes against society. And these prisons also are designed to separate, to separate that individual from society, from their friends, from their families, from the community. And they have very strict rules that are thrust upon them. They're controlled in every way when they get to eat, where they get to go, who they get to see, and on and on the rules and regulations go for these individuals that have uh, taken advantage of the freedoms that they were afforded to on the outside. They are prisoners. They are prisoners. Their freedom has been taken from them. But there is another kind of prison that, that individuals often go into, and they find themselves very much restrained in that place, and there are people in that prison, amen, more numerous than all of the people that are incarcerated in traditional facilities all throughout the world. It is a prison without bars. It is a prison without guards. It is a prison without barbed wire or high walls. No judge will sentence you to go there. And yet many people walk into this prison willingly and stay for far too long. The sentence uh, very often is self-inflicted and relived in vicious cycles for months and months, even years at a time. And it is the prison, it is the prison of past failures, the prison of past failures. People torture themselves over past failures. How many have spent a little bit of time in your lifetime uh, contemplating things that you have done wrong, things that you have failed at? It's torturous. It really is mentally, emotionally. But tonight I have come with a message of hope that you don't have to live in that prison. You don't have to live in that prison any longer. It is, it is possible tonight to be free from the bondage of that prison. But it's a choice that you have to make. It's a choice that I have to make. 
I can't force the choice on you, and you can't force the choice on me. It's one that we all have to make ourselves. The decision is ours and ours alone. We all have failures. We all have setbacks. But there is no sense tonight and from this day forward, there is no sense in wasting any more time or any more effort agonizing over mistakes that you have in your past. Can I tell you tonight that freedom from your mistakes is here tonight and his name is Jesus Christ? There is freedom from your past tonight and his name is Jesus Christ and he alone can set you free and he alone can relieve this pain and this heartache that you're dealing with here tonight. Now I know that there are lots of people here tonight. We've got a pretty good a group of individuals gathered here. We've been around a little while. We've got some failures in our past. And I, it probably is very fair to say that even, even the most tenured Christian that there is among us here tonight, there is still some here that is struggling with issues in their past. Jesus Christ can set us free. He was God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. And he came with a singular purpose to save us and to forgive all of our sins and to set us free from all of these failures. And it is through him and through him alone that we have forgiveness of our sins and we can be washed clean, that we can have them taken away forever. We can have them taken away forever. Paul said this, Paul declared these words, God is able to do above all that we ask or think. Above all, doesn't matter. He's able to do above that. The best thing you can think of, the, the most freedom and the best forgiveness that you could have in your life, he, he's able to do that. He has power to do that. Now, we have issues in our past, right? And, and, if, and if someone were to ask me to reveal uh, the worst things that I have done in my lifetime, I would not want to share that with anyone. I would not want to reveal that to anyone. And, and likewise, the same is probably true of many of you tonight, you've done things in your past that you're not proud of, that you do not want shared in the public eye. Things you just as soon forget about, that you wish had never happened, that you wish had never occurred and taken place. But I'm here to remind the church that there is no mistake tonight. There is no mistake that we have committed that God cannot take and make it right again. There is no sin, no matter how grave, no matter how bad, the sin was that we may have committed, there is nothing too big and too bad that God cannot take and wash clean, amen, make it right, turn us around and place us on a right path, amen, that leads to heaven, that gives us a bright hope. You know, when most people die, uh, I've experienced uh, some death in my life, uh, not me personally, <laughs> not me personally, but... But other people I have uh, been close to, I have experienced, uh, have passed on. My father, uh, several grandparents, and a brother, among other folks that I have uh, watched be put in the ground and earth be put over them. And do you know that in those times and in those experiences of life, when I have lost loved ones, it is entirely hopeless situation. You see them, you watch them, you have known them, and now they are taken from your life. And it is hopeless. They're not coming back. They're gone forever, and, and maybe, hopefully, 
They have gotten things right with the Lord, and you'll see them again someday. But for now, for the time being, it is an entirely hopeless situation. But when Jesus Christ died, hope was extended to mankind. God does things differently, much, much more differently than we do. And when he died, hope was extended to the believer that would be coming down the road, amen, hundreds and thousands of years down the line. Amen. Hope like this world has never known before. Hope that our sins could be washed away once for all. Amen. Hope that we would no longer just have to roll them ahead year after year, compounding them on and on, but they can be forgiven, they can be taken away, they can be washed clean and gone forever. And that is a wonderful thing, church. We likely have grown to take it a little bit for granted, but it is a wonderful thing to know the forgiveness of an omnipotent God who has seen and knows everything that I have done. And still he extends mercy, and still he extends mercy to me. But there's this, there's this uh, force, amen, that we have to deal with. There's this one that unfortunately we are tasked with uh, dealing with uh, probably on a day-to-day basis if you are alive and in the flesh it is the devil and uh, he is our enemy okay don't forget that he is our enemy they would like to make us think that that it's just okay you do whatever you want but the enemy amen he has nothing good in store for us he is only seeking to take us out and he gets his nasty tentacles in our mind yes he does he does that all the time And he will get our mind so focused on the depth of our failure that we fail to realize the greatness of our God and his ability, his ability to pick us up from our failure. Can I tell you tonight that he really does have that much power? This is not just a fairy tale. This is just not uh, something that we say to draw crowds. But he has power tonight to, to take those sins from your life He has power to wash you and make you clean. He has power to save and deliver you. He has power to pick you up out of your miry clay, amen, and wash you clean from the trouble that you have found yourself in. It's ready. It's here tonight, amen. There's nothing at all that can prevent you from receiving what God has, amen, if you will come to him. But its value is not revealed, its value is not recognized by the child of God or by anybody for that matter, Until we desire to be forgiven, we ask God for forgiveness and repentance and are baptized in Jesus' name. And then that forgiveness, amen, has its work in our life. And that great forgiveness that he has to offer will come in and wash us and make us clean. Jeremiah said it this way, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Paul wrote to the Roman church, he said, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. But I know people personally that I have seen, that I have witnessed, that I have encountered, uh, come into contact with on numerous occasions, who you can tell, it's obvious you don't have to look real hard. They have a way about them. They have a demeanor that God has forgiven them But some way, somehow, they have not accepted the forgiveness that God has forgiven them. And if if unforgiveness is still there, it's not because God has not extended forgiveness. It's because we have not accepted what God has done for us. 
Our sin is too bad. God could never make me clean again. Our sin is too black and too sickening and too, too gross and too disgusting that he could never, ever wash me clean. But it simply is not true. And I want to remind someone tonight, don't make the mistake that folks make in thinking that your past and that your sin is bigger than what God has power to forgive or to set free. There is a chance that is afforded us right now, this evening, at this moment in time, there is a wonderful chance that has been forgiven for us to start over, for us to receive forgiveness, for us to not have to relive the past and the pain and the hurt and the heartache that we have dealt with in these moments of failure that we have found ourselves in. Likely time and time and time again, if you are anything like me, but God has come to extend forgiveness we can trust him. We can trust the Lord. We can count on him. When he said that he would remove it and when he said that he would take it away, that he would forget it, he meant what he said. He is not going to come back into your life a week, two weeks, a month, a year later and throw these things back into your life. When God has come in and he has taken these failures from you, they are gone forever. And there is no failure in your past. I can say it a hundred times and I would say it yet again. There is no failure in our past that God cannot write, that God cannot forgive, that God cannot save. How do I know it? Because I am here as a testimony of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to save and to heal and to deliver. But the enemy, the enemy has a way, Amen. Of getting in our mind and making us relive these things over and over and over again. It was his singular purpose. He only had one desire in that moment when you thought everything was going to be so much fun and so exciting and that things were going to be so great. And in that moment of fun, he had one desire and that was to take you out. It was to take you out. And he may have tripped you up a time or two. And I don't know how God does it, but I can confirm with great certainty that even though he may have tripped you up time and time again, God can forgive and God can turn it around and God can make it right and God can save and God can deliver you and God can make a way for you to be restored into good standing with him. You know, oftentimes we take kind of this, this look at, at the Bible uh, we read it, and that's good, and we should do that. And we come to church, and we hear uh, preachers uh, get up and, and run around and sweat and holler. And uh, there was a, a lady pastor from my area uh, of the world, and uh, she said <laughs> she got up one time, and she said that uh, a man, a man can get up and scream and holler Amen. But a woman, when she gets up and stands behind the pulpit, has to say something. Um, so, so anyway, but but we hear people, we hear people, and uh, preach and tell all these wonderful things. Uh, most of the people here I see uh, several times a week, if not more, uh, at church. We're regular. We come and we hear stories about these men and these uh, women in the Bible. They're wonderful people. They do great things and. And the Bible is full of villains, and we know that. People like Goliath and, and people that have uh, come in to, to, to do havoc, to wreak harm uh, on, on the people of God or to lead them astray or this or that. But, but very often there, there are messages that are spoken and, and, and people that are referred to and referenced 
on a routine basis, and I'm going to mention a few of them tonight. We're not going to take a long time, but I am going to mention a few of them tonight. Wonderful people, and oftentimes they are referenced and regarded in high esteem for the great things that they've done, for the wonderful acts that they have committed, the great uh, victories they have helped the nation of Israel through the Lord win. But these individuals have many very dire failures in their life. But we only hear about the good things and we forget about all the stuff that they struggled with and all the stuff that they had a hard time with. Consider Moses with me tonight. Moses was a good man, right? The Ten Commandments, you know, up on the mountain, the stone and the lightning and the thunder and all that. It was wonderful, right? He did great things. But Moses, if you will recall with me, a few years earlier was a murderer. But so often where we're quick to forget Amen. And we only can remember the good things, which is weird being human nature, well, always remembering the bad things. And we forget about these individuals and the struggles that they had, but yet God was able to take them and turn them and do something good with them. He, he feared being a failure. Very, very desperately he feared that he would be a failure because he had this uh, thing in his past, this uh, failure that he had committed. But God came in and God power, God's power was enough to take that away, to wash him, and to use him anyway. And he is recorded as being the one that led the children out of Egypt. And the Bible records this in Deuteronomy. It says of Moses, but since there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, the Bible says. This man, Moses, no prophet was like him. No prophet came again that was going to be like he was. And he was a failure. He had a great, great failure in his life. And yet, God used him anyway. Consider with me tonight Jacob. Jacob, I don't know, it would be pretty easy to me if you have read anything. You know, we start Bible reading, we only get so far in and sometimes we get behind. But you get through the book of Genesis, oftentimes you probably read Genesis more than anything else. If you're reading your Bible through and you kind of slip behind. And if you get anywhere into the book of Genesis, you're going to be introduced to this character, this man named Jacob. Jacob was a man used in spite of all of his failures and all of his downsides. He cheated. He was deceitful. He was selfish. And on and on we could go and list off the poor characteristics that Jacob had in his character, surely, surely, a liar and a cheater and somebody that is selfish and all these things, surely God couldn't use somebody like that. Surely he couldn't do that. God would never do that. He, he, he has such bad, bad record. He has such a rap sheet. How could God ever do that? But God took Jacob, God changed his nature, and he changed his name to Israel and blessed him with a wonderful family of sons, Amen. And daughters who became the foundation for an entire nation, God's own chosen nation, no less, that were then referred to as the sons of Jacob or the children of Israel. And yet here is this individual with such a rap sheet, with such problems, such character flaws, such uh, things in his life that, that just don't, they're not appealing, they don't look right, it doesn't have the right kind of uh, feel to it, to be a leader. And how is it possible? It is possible because God can use people 
that choose to put their defeats behind them and receive the forgiveness that he has to offer them. He has to offer them. Now, now no list would be complete unless I mentioned another individual by the name of David. David, surely we're familiar with David. Amen. He played the harp. He played the harp. He was a Bible recorded him as a man after God's own heart. Courageous man. What a, what a man. Uh, even at a young age was used in such a mighty way to take out this big imposing giant named Goliath. Great soldier. Many victories that he, he won uh, with his armies in the name of the Lord and for the nation of Israel. A successful writer wrote, amen, much uh, amen, of the Psalms. Amen. A wonderful, wonderful man. But, but, but then there was Uriah. And then there was Bathsheba. We read, you know, David, and we remember all these wonderful things that he did. And yet, here are these men, I mean, that we've listed off, and I've got another one or two that I will bring to your attention. They have these failures in their lives, these sins, these things that they have committed. Grave, grave sins. He committed adultery with this woman, had a child out of wedlock with this woman, and then conspired to kill her husband. Grave, grave sins, grave things that they have committed in their life. And if it wasn't bad enough to have to deal with the pain and the heartache and the shame of these things, and the moment that they occurred, no, they're recorded, amen, for all of history to remember and to have reference to great failures that they have committed. But in David's case, repentance came into the equation, and Jesus Christ himself is found in the lineage of this man named David. This failure, Jesus Christ is referred to as a son of David. I'm here to tell you tonight that God can take what failures you have in your past, and he can turn them around, and he can make them right, amen, and he can do something wonderful with your life despite those things that you may have committed in your past. There's another man, very hot-headed man, Peter, in an hour of crisis, despite claiming adamantly to Jesus' face, I will never, ever deny you. I will never do that. Fierce loyalty, denying that he would ever, ever even consider the thought of denying Jesus Christ. And yet he denied the Lord three times. Three times he denied the Lord, even though he told him to his face that he would never do that. How can you recover from that? How can you get over something that you have done to the Lord? And if it wasn't bad enough, he was going to come and you were going to be with him face to face again. And you were going to have to answer for your denial of Jesus Christ. But the story doesn't end there, folks, as we've established. And then time and time again. After the resurrection, Jesus restored and recommissioned Peter, and he preached on the day of Pentecost, amen, and delivered the message of salvation that we know and that we love and that we hold dear. And Peter was one of the biggest failures of all, and yet the Lord used him in his mighty power and his strength. And he went on to preach until the day that he was murdered, until his life was taken from him. They all failed miserably. They all made Terrible mistakes, but they received forgiveness 
that the Lord offered to them and they overcame anyway and became successful leaders. Amen. And are recorded and remembered very often for all of their positive attributes and all the wonderful things that they have done. I mean, one of the keys to overcoming is getting rid of guilt. You know that medical professionals record and consider guilt to be more painful than some diseases? Guilt. Guilt from things that, that folks have done wrong. Uh, Psalm, uh, the book of Psalms 32, David described a physical tiredness that came upon him and exhaustion that was experienced when he carried around this guilt. Along with this fatigue comes mental frustration. And it can be shocking. It can be shocking people that were once upstanding, outgoing, wonderful people, glad to be around, whatever. And guilt will drive them to this place, nervous breakdowns, heart failure, drug abuse, alcoholism, the destructive power of guilt if you let it run free in your life. But I will remind you again tonight that Jesus Christ has come to set us free. And Jesus Christ does not want that to be the case or the story for your life that you live in guilt, that you live in pain from these things, amen, that you have done wrong in your life. David, he admitted his sin, and he recognized God's forgiveness, amen, and because of that, his life was turned around, and he was made a better person because, amen, of receiving this uh, forgiveness that God had offered to him. There is a very simple recipe to be free from guilt, very simple, very simple. Repent of your sins. Be baptized in the wonderful name of Jesus and accept what God has done for you. Accept what God has done for you. Hallelujah. While we were in France, we came to expect that things were going to cost more than what we were accustomed to. Very routinely. Everywhere we went, we noticed that, that was the case. Or you go through this. Uh, battle, and Brother Enos counseled very wisely to not worry about it, that, that, you know, you have the exchange rate between the dollar and the euro, and the euro was worth more, and things would cost the same, so you feel like you're paying more, even though at the end of the day, at that moment in time, you couldn't buy anything back in the States anyway, so <laughs> what good was it to worry about it? But we came to realize that things were going to cost a bit more than what we were accustomed to. There was a day, I love donuts, donuts are wonderful, they are a gift from God, and uh, and I found a pl- <laughs> I found a place in Paris. Now donuts are not as common uh, in France as uh, perhaps they are here in the U.S. Uh, many varieties and uh, people places that you can go and get uh, thirty five different varieties of uh, whatever flavor donut you want. And I happened upon this place. I don't know how. I think the Lord showed it to me in a vision. I'm not sure. There's this place. In Europe, that was kind of a uh, Holtman's, but, but kind of on a smaller scale, obviously. It was a little bitty place, uh, about the size of this piano over here, and I'm not lying. Uh, you could probably fit two pianos in the area. There was the area that you went in to buy the donuts, and then you could go upstairs, and that's where they cooked them, I guess. Um, but we decided one Sunday, Saturday morning, me and Gavin, we were going to jump on the metro and uh, go into town. And uh, go find this place and get some donuts. Uh, it had been our custom uh, before we left that uh, typically on Saturday mornings I would make uh, Pillsbury uh, cinnamon rolls. And me and the boys, that's what we would have for breakfast. 
So while it wasn't the same, it was kind of a good excuse to go in and uh, try something different. They had some uh, neat flavors that we wanted to try. So we got up and we took the 45-minute ride in. And, and like I said, <laughs> it was only about as big as this piano. And we walked by it a couple times uh, before we saw it. And so we went in and, and there it was. The display, <laughs> the display case was about as big as this pulpit. And they had five or six different kinds laid out there. And, you know, we're American. We expect to buy donuts by the dozen. So I just, <laughs> that was my first question. I said, well, how much is a dozen? And uh, he was English, uh, so that was, that was a good thing. And, and so I asked him, I said, how much is a dozen? And uh, do you know what he told me? <laughs> he told me a dozen donuts were going to cost 44 euros. 44! 50 bucks a dozen. My word, are they gold-plated? Will they feed themselves to me? I did not spend 50 bucks on donuts that morning, folks. I will say that. Uh, today, I bought a half a dozen, and despite that, his card reader wasn't working, so I had to go find an ATM to get some cash out uh, to get these uh, from him. And uh, it took me a while, but I cleaned my jaw up off the ground and uh, uh, got back on the metro and headed back home with my tail between my legs, leaving half of my dozen uh, with the proprietor. <laughs> Things cost more in France. But do you know with the higher price, we also noted that the quality, the quality of the goods that we were receiving were better quality oftentimes than what we expected to receive in the United States. Can I tell you tonight that Jesus paid an incredible price at Calvary? Jesus paid. Jesus paid an incredible price at Calvary. And the quality of the forgiveness that he purchased for you cannot be matched by any other person that will ever come along. Jesus Christ paid the price for your forgiveness. He paid the price for your salvation. He came to wash you and to cleanse you and to forgive you, yes, of your very worst sin that you have ever committed. Jesus has taken care of it. Jesus has washed it clean. Jesus has plunged it under the blood and taken it from your record. He gives us the Holy Ghost and he gives us power if the musicians would like to come. Amen. 2 Corinthians says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. What does it mean to pass away? Anybody? If you pass away, what happens? Your wife cries, hopefully. You pass away, you die. Old things have passed away. They died. They're gone. They're not here anymore. They have passed away. Why? Because now I'm in Christ and I'm a new creation. And because of that, amen, old things have died. And behold, all things have become new. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, let's all stand tonight. No one on this planet, and I mean no one, no one from the beggar, the panhandler on the street corner, to the Pope himself is free from failure. Nobody is. 
Nobody is free from failure. From the poorest to the richest, everyone amen, will have and have had failures in their life. But how we handle them makes all the difference in the world. You can fail. You likely have failed. I have. You can choose to wallow in those failures. You can choose to live in that moment when you made a mistake. Or it's equally possible to live a life of victory. Amen. Turn from that sin. Receive the great forgiveness that Jesus Christ paid for you. Receive what he has paid for you and go from that moment and live a victorious life. History records that at the point in time when Babe Ruth was going to be overrun by Hank Aaron as the most home runs, that a reporter decided to ask Hank Aaron a different question, not about the home runs, but about the opposite side of that. And he asked Hank Aaron, how many strikeouts have you had in your career? 1,262 strikeouts and a record of 710 home runs, I'm told. Twice as many failures as successes. I mean, can I tell you tonight that you're going to fail a lot, probably. I hope that you don't. But if my experience is anything like what your experience will be, you're going to fail an awful lot. Get back up on your feet. Dust yourself off. Amen. Ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you one more time, Lord. Just one more time. I'm going to try real hard next time, Jesus. Amen. And I'm going to do my best to get it right with your help. Amen. Get back up on your feet. Don't give the enemy the satisfaction, amen, of knocking you down and keeping you in that place, amen, of failure. But get back up on your feet again. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ for his tender mercy and for his power. And keep trying and let it drive you to be the better person that you have ever been. A better person that you have ever been. And if you are someone tonight, if you are someone tonight that is perhaps looking or aware of somebody in the midst of their struggle, and you're inclined to look high and mighty upon them and say, how could you be so dumb and how could you make such a stupid mistake? If you're in that position, I would remind you also that it wasn't terribly long ago that you as well were in that same position. Extend mercy to one another, church. Extend mercy to one another. Hallelujah. Amen. Be an encouragement. Be a witness to somebody. Amen. That there is a better way. We do not have to follow, amen, the ways of the flesh. We don't have to follow, amen, the ways of the world to kick somebody when they're down. But lift them up. Lift them up. Encourage them. Pray together. Build one another up and become the church and the body of Christ that he has desired you to be. Let's Let's seek him for a little bit tonight. Could we do that? Let me just for a few moments, Brother John, go ahead. Amen. And let's sing. Somebody's in the midst of that failure tonight. Somebody's in the midst of that point. Amen. Where you have done wrong. Amen. And I'm here to tell you what God says. And he says that you are forgiven. He says that you are set free. He says that you have hope and that you can make it. You can make it. 
because of his sacrifice, because of the forgiveness that he paid for you. Hallelujah. There is none like you. There is none like you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There really isn't church. There really isn't anyone like him. Hallelujah. of my heart like he can. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.